Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining uh, with us here on the program. As we come your way every Sunday from seven at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., we do stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and the podcasts are at richarddugan.com, the homepage, the radio shows page, as well as Spotify, SoundTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, and a whole bunch of other places. SoundCloud is our main source, and when you're listening to the podcast and you see that little grocery cart or you see the name of our guest, click on it. It will take you to our guest's website, and we will be giving you today's guest's website here in just a few moments so that you can uh, continue your evolutionary process, continue the process of becoming a better person and helping others to uh, move our civilization, our societies forward. And uh, today, I think you're going to enjoy our program. I think you're going to enjoy it because it's going to help you to understand a situation that's going on, not just in one particular part of the world, but also around the world. Uh, Here in the United States, supposedly the greatest country in the world suffers from this same affliction, if you will. But we have a gentleman on the line, and uh, he is all the way from, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Uh, All the way from Africa, we're talking about his book, his latest work, his crusade, if you will, The Poverty Crusade. It's a little African villages campaign against world poverty. And Robert uh, Pepra Gayamfi is my guest. I uh, hope I got it right the second time. And thank you so much for joining us here today on the program. Thank you very much, Richard. In the first place, I'll talk a little bit slowly because of my accent. Because uh, I want everybody to get the message that I have to give. Well, I appreciate that, and I think that would be very appropriate. Now, you, of course, were born in Ghana in a tiny village. And, um, of course, the way that we tend to phoneticize things sometimes makes it more difficult to pronounce. But the village was called Mumpintimpi? Mumpintimpi. 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 Okay, and you also faced many difficulties and challenges surviving illness and horrific treatment by traditional doctors. And, of course, you eventually moved to Germany, and that's where you qualified as a family doctor in 2001 and in 2006 moved to the U.K. And uh, you combined your work as a doctor, that of a writer, as well as an evangelist. Now, first of all, are uh, are you in the U.K. today? Yes, I'm the, I am in the UK today. That's that is correct. All right. I am in the UK at the moment. But I venture you you make many trips to uh, to Ghana, correct? Yes, uh, it is my goal to help the poor because I feel duty bound to help them. If our time will permit, I just want to read a small portion from my book, which is called "The Call That Changed My Life." And it talks about the circumstances of my birth. It will take about five minutes. Is that okay? Please go right ahead. So, here you go. I was born into a tiny village with the big name of Mpintimpi. According to my mother, I was born in this small rectangular wooden structure that served as the family bathroom. It measured about one meter in length and 80 centimeters in width. The wooden 
war rose to about a meter and a half above ground level. At the top, the structure was open to the free tropical skies. The floor was not cemented, but covered with fine gravel. Immediately, the eyes of myself saw the light. I breathed and screamed in protest for having been forced to leave the comfortable conditions prevailing in my mother's womb for the prevailing tropical heat of Africa. In otherwise, I was born in very humble circumstances, not in a labor ward. My mother was not attended to by a nurse, and we lived in abject poverty. So, Richard, you can now understand why I am so keen to help alleviate poverty. And, of course, this issue isn't just going on in this small village that you are wanting to help. This this is going on worldwide. And so it sounds to me like this is a place where uh, you can begin this process that hopefully can then be transplanted, cloned, or duplicated in other parts of the world. Is that correct? That is correct, Richard. And when I read uh, some of the stat statistics of how wealth is concentrated in the hands of only a, a, a percentage, a little percentage of humanity, whereas the vast majority live in absolute poverty, it really uh, is very, very painful. But of course, we are not going to use violent means to just uh, rob the, the rich of their wealth. In my opinion, we use argument, and you want to just uh, highlight the plight of others so that uh, we get men and women of goodwill from the global village to join us in our crusade. Well, according to some of the other information in your book, the poor of this world, especially those in the developing world, are caught between a rock and a hard place, and their countries suffer under uh, the um, suffer under the uh, burden of, of course, unfavorable uh, trading practices of the advanced countries, and uh, and their plight is further worsened by their own uh, their own greedy and corrupt governments, their their leaders, if you will. Who basically squander whatever meager resources are left at this uh, at their disposal? That seems to be a big issue, and it, it, it seems like it's been going on. Uh, and and you know as well as I do that uh, as an evangelist yourself, uh, uh, that um, it, it, it wasn't it Jesus who said that you know you're always the poor will always be with you, uh, and so in one sense. It's a kind of unfortunate to to have to say that, but um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like okay, then what are we going to do? I mean, if the poor are always supposed to be are always going to be with us, should we do anything? Because they're always going to be with us, no matter what we do. They're going to be there, and I guess it's actually more a question of, and what are you going to do about it? Because it's not about the fact that the poor are always going to be with us. It's what am I going to do to minimize that in my in my small part of the world? 
Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, for example, uh, in in Ghana, okay, it's, it's a poor country, but uh, in my opinion, the politicians could do better. We have copied everything uh, that we inherited from our colonial masters, like uh, the army, the diplomatic corps, and all. But there's nothing like a social welfare system. The benefit system that you have in the West, uh, which cares for the poor, is not present. And we, our people, look at the extended family uh, members for help in time of need. So I, I was uh, one of uh, eight children for my parents, and somehow through uh, God's uh, working providence, I managed to come to the Western world. So everybody is looking up to me like a, a type of a benefit uh, office uh, or, or uh, who has to help them. And I, over the years, I've done my best. But uh, I mean, one person cannot do all. And once there's no social welfare system in in place, then uh, it's, it's a poverty that is always carrying on. That is why I am appealing to the global village. I, I, because I grew up in the village, I know the, some of the minor, minor pro projects that I can uh, put up to help the poor. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, setting up, because the poor are very hardworking. They want something to do, but it's lack of capital. Not major capital, but even minor uh, investment. Like, for example, like $10,000 can make a big difference in my village. You could set up a, a poultry farm and engage uh, some of the unemployed. And so they will get the opportunity also to help their extended family members. And that is what we are expecting our governments to be doing, but they are not doing that. Well, it, it sounds to me like this also uh, would, um, this area, a lot of areas would definitely benefit from something that is, it's not so new anymore, but I remember maybe 10 or 15 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, there used to be, uh, and maybe still are, what are called micro-loans of, of, of that ilk, if you will, you know, $3,000, $5,000, $10,000, the equivalent of currency, of course, in the given countries, to help people to yes. do just exactly what you're talking about. Yes, uh, there are some charities uh, that are doing this work somewhere, but... Uh, not in my area where where I come from. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, just this type of uh, money that uh, somebody who says peanut, but uh, for those people, it's uh, to make a big change. I want to let our listeners know about your website. It's uh, basically one you folks want to go to, Dr. Robert Pepra Gayamfi, and it's Pepra Gayamfi, yes. and I'm going to spell it out for you folks. It's P-E-P-R-A-H dash or hyphen, G-Y-A-M-F-I dot org. And, of course, we will be linked to your website, Robert, so that uh, people can uh, can get more information, can get involved, find out more about you, the work you're doing, the, the various books that you have available, in addition to the one we are talking about today, which, of course, is the, it's called Poverty Crusade, A Little African Villages Campaign Against World Poverty. One of the there's one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and uh, you know I, I'm not even sure how this is going to come across. Nonetheless, 
of all of the many, many news pieces I've seen and documentaries about uh, African tribes just across Africa, let alone uh, in Ghana and many of the other parts, I've noticed that no matter how impoverished the people might be as they live, where they live and how they live, I've always noticed that the clothing, and I'm, this is something that just has always struck me, the colors that are used for the clothing that the people are wearing are so bright and vibrant. Is that an outward manifestation of the optimism, of the... Uh, uh, of the feeling of hope that they have, not necessarily that someone will come and help them, but of that which they know, hey, uh, we can do this if we work together, because as you just said, they want to be doing something. They want to be contributing to their respective village and society and their tribe. Yeah, as far as the, the clothing goes, I, I don't know the, the, the background, but uh, it's generally true that uh, our clothes are more with color, with yeah. a lot of color. Yes. And uh, going back to clothing, uh, I want to go to uh, to my background as a child. You know, uh, our parents were poor, uh, as I said, already mentioned, and so it was once a year at Christmas that they were able to uh, give us some some. A clothing that uh, you could just put around, like a, a type of a cotton, a colored, multicolored uh, cotton clothes, and you wrapped it around our body. So you you were looking up to Christmas to come so that you get it. But on some occasions, when uh, the harvest was not good, even that, that you couldn't get that one. So the, the whole year, you have waited in vain, and then you have to put on the same old clothes for another year. So uh, that is just uh, by the way of just uh, going back to my childhood days, also to explain how uh, I lived my life and with the clothes that I put on. Mm. And I know that it's uh, to some folks, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but it really, like I said, it really struck me because it just seems as though, you know, uh, here in this country, for example, um, we have a segment of our society in a, in in a, in addition to the working poor, we have people here in this country who uh, they're they're way beyond paycheck to paycheck. I mean, it's day to day, hour to hour. Yeah. But then we also have the homeless, and most of the folks I have seen here in my own city, uh, uh, at least the city I live in now, Santa Barbara, California, here on the west coast of the United States. Yeah. Not too vibrant now every so often you will see someone because you see a lot of the same people uh they will get a new set of clothes and they'll look real good for a while and then after a period of time you know of course they get old they get dirty and dingy and so on and so forth um and and it just seems as though you know forgive me for for asking it this way but it seems as though that the folks of africa and all of these various impoverished uh, villages there's a certain level of of pride that they take i mean i don't see people filthy dirty um uh individuals you know sitting out in front of a building waiting for someone to give them some change 
you know, the children are out playing in the street. They're playing soccer or whatever games that, that they play. Uh, the adults, uh, you know, are maybe they've got a because I know this is still done where they're carrying the water on their head in a big pot, yes. you know, to the home, you know, for cooking and cleaning and whatever. They, but they don't it seems like they have a certain level of pride in in taking care of themselves, even in these conditions. Yeah, okay. In, in Germany, I had I had a, a pastor friend, and he also uh, visited his uh, his friend in Cameroon, in, also in West Africa. And he also uh, came back with the same comments uh, that uh, uh, also, despite the poverty, the people were happy and cheerful. I don't know, but I think, you know, having lived in the West, sometimes I, I say to myself, uh, Though we are poor, we are, we are better prepared for life because of the hardships. Uh, you, you face the hardships as a child. Uh, things are not so, there are a lot of challenges. I don't know whether that was the situation in your country uh, maybe 200 years ago when things were not as it is now. And uh, so uh, they, you become more used to suffering and you just, uh, that's a way of uh, just, uh, trying to survive we become we are more strong even in the, in the face of adversity and that is what uh, sometimes is lacking here in the west when some of my patients uh, a lot of problems and they are depressed and as I, I begin to tell myself this basically well it's not a big problem but it becomes a big problem for them yeah that's how i, I see things and I certainly, uh, I certainly can can appreciate, and yet at the same time, I just, I again, I marvel at. I mean, I I I have difficulty unless I and my wife are going somewhere to to experience a place and the people in that place. Uh, I I can't take a two week vacation and just sit at home. I have to be I have to be about doing something. Uh, you know, I, I just can't I just can't sit idly by that. I, I, maybe I don't know if that's from my upbringing, from my parents or what have you. But nonetheless, um, and this is one of the criticisms I know that that is heaped upon uh, even some of the uh, individuals who run for public office here in the United States in particular. Uh, I mean, the dirtiest word in politics today is socialism. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, people are talking about giving students free education and free health care and so forth and so on. And, of course, the question is, well, how are you going to pay for it? You know, well, the rest of us who are working are going to pay for it. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but a lot of people critically critical of, of these free programs say that, well, yeah, you give everything to somebody free and they're just going to surround. They're not going to do anything. And I beg to differ. I actually believe that people don't just want to sit around and do nothing. They want to do something. They want to accomplish something in their lives. I mean, yeah, maybe there are a few that don't care. But it seems to me like the folks in the villages that you are helping, they genuinely care and they want to be a part. Is that what you are experiencing in your small village there and in other small villages there in Ghana? Is that these people, they're not just sitting around waiting for a handout. They want to put, a, put their hand in to help out? Yes, that, that is correct. And uh, I, I want to cite the example of my, my own parents. Uh, my parents, uh, they are no more alive, but uh, they woke up uh, they, they, from the 
rising rising of the sun to the evening, they were always on their feet, uh, going to farm, going to the, the field, using manual labor to uh, at a place where I, I grew up, uh, cocoa. You know, it's a tropical uh, climate, and the cocoa uh, thrives good, well there. So at that time, and. Uh, they were a lot of them were growing cocoa, but not on large scale, or, uh, maybe one or two acres, and so they were pro pro producing cocoa, and that, that is uh, the source of income, and that uh, brought uh, my parents uh, a source of income to look after their, their children. They were there were eight of us, and um, unfortunately, due to climate change and a lot of uh, these weather conditions. Uh, the yields from cocoa are not as as they used to be, but of course the the, the plants are still there, and occasionally during some years uh, the harvest is not good. But generally, uh, sometimes on the whole, uh, that is what the source of uh, income for them. So yes, you are right. Uh, they are very hardworking, but the, as I said, the they should have been given some help uh, by by the by the government and the politics. Mm -hmm. When, for example, in their old age, because at the moment there's no uh, like pension system, so the old people uh, they are cared for by their their children, and if their children are no more alive, and, and then they rely on the extended family system, and that is where uh, my charity is. Uh, based on the, the support and resources that you get, you, you think of helping the elderly and elderly and the vulnerable of society. Do you think that uh, the, you would be getting the support you are getting today if it weren't for our technology that has gone global? Uh, I don't know what level of technology is available in the village uh, that you're, you're supporting and other villages in Africa that are, are impoverished in this way. Uh, but I would think that uh, it does take people such as yourself who have the wherewithal to travel, to uh, uh, spread the word both physically as well as technologically, that today uh, it, it makes a big difference. Has there been that much of a change due to that global networking or is it just as difficult to get people to support uh, helping people in Africa because maybe there aren't the resources that we would like to take advantage of. And that's part of the problem, I'm wondering, uh, that uh, if, if there's no um, uh, um, national, uh, I can't, I'm trying to think of the word here, uh, national interest, especially governmental interest by governments around the world in a particular area. In other words, you have oil or you have gold or you have whatever it is and we want it. So here's what we're going to do in exchange for us coming in and mining it. We're going to give you all kinds of help and support and your people can work these places. Um, what, what about that aspect? Okay. Uh, in Ghana, we have had a gold. You know, Ghana used to be called the Gold Coast. Uh, and so the gold mining has been going on for for a while, but you know it doesn't trickle down. It doesn't go down to uh, to support the poor. Uh, and in the past, uh, I, I think the government also made a lot of uh, international debts with the IMF, the, uh, the World Bank, 
So there are loans that they are paying back. So at the end of the day, there's no more, not no more money left for that type of social programs for the very, very poor. The government first think of its own ministers and and all staff. Then you pay for ambassadors to 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 to, to go to the United Nations to go to. To come to Washington, ambassador, very expensive business. Uh, they also have ambassador within African countries, and there are several of them. So at the end of the day, any money that generated from like minerals in the country, it, the poor man, the ordinary man on the street, does not profit from anything at all. The, if they don't have any family, extended family members, for example, I, I, I have. Cases of uh, handicapped uh, people in the in the village, uh, deaf, uh, birth deformities, which were not which were not treated, and they are paralyzed, handicapped. So it's the extended family. The poor people are trying to help themselves. No help from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's so much corruption in the system that even if a project uh, like some benefit for the poor is being paid to them, it may, in the long run, it may not reach them. Uh, it's a very difficult situation, very sad. So, so that is why, uh, it's, but of course, there are some honest individuals that, uh, like a charity like myself, uh, you can work with and uh, to, to, to make a difference. Do you feel a sense of frustration over the lack of global support? Uh, you know, I mean, we've got some countries, they're in the middle of their own civil war. They're in, war, in a war with some other country, neighboring country. Uh, they're a country, it's, it's dealing with its own internal struggles. Uh, it, you know, uh, nationalism seems to be a big issue around the world and in many of the developed countries. Uh, and, um, and the other aspect of it too, is that name calling doesn't seem to help constantly. I keep hearing different parts of the world, including different areas of Africa referred to as hell holes or, um, uh, you know, other types of holes. In other words, very derogatory uh, comments about these parts of the world. And it's like, how is that helping them better their worlds when you label them in that fashion? Like it's their fault. You know, it just seems as seems to me that, I mean, we've seen movie after movie, documentary after documentary uh, of, of governments, especially in Africa, uh, doing things to their own people. I, I have never been able to understand how a government can abuse and misuse and mistreat and even kill its own people. I just, I've never been able to understand that. I thought they were there for us. And, and, and yet I know that greed is, is part of the problem. Um, but what about, what about that particular aspect? Is that, do you have that sense of frustration or does your faith help you help you to make it through from day to day when those kinds of things are kind of hurled at you thrown at you and and uh and your cause yeah yeah it, it, it's, it's very sad uh, it's very sad 
uh, situations are very sad. But, uh, so it happened uh, in some West African countries. So far in Ghana, uh, we, we have been free, uh, spared, most of the time spared of this type of uh, civil wars and uh, genocide. But uh, it's very sad when it happens. At the moment, the problem basically is that in Africa, uh, in most places, uh, there the, the are no more like conflicts, but the conflict is the distribution of wealth. The, in Ghana, we have a, a democracy. Yeah, we, we, every year, five years, the, four years, there's election. Mm -hmm. But what, the, the politicians go to the villages when there's election, you know, to make promises upon promises. But when it's over, that is over. Yeah. Uh, that is what is uh, frustrating and heartbreaking. In my opinion, if I look at the situation, the best way out, because there are some uh, global individuals with huge wealth, even wealthier than maybe the whole of Africa combined, uh, the, the most effective way of helping is to get trusted individuals uh, in various African countries to work with them. Uh, that they set up small-scale uh, farming or industries to employ the the, the 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 other people and give them work. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, even if you pass this sum, uh, official like, like the, the official channel of aid, it will seek out, uh, along the, the way so that in the long run, uh, even those who are the help is meant for they don't get the help mm -hmm. so in the in the ideal world that is in the ideal world that is how i see things uh, because i have i've grown up in the in the I, I spent the first 16 years in my village then i moved on so i have a, a lot of experience i think as far as that is concerned and in my opinion that's the most effective way of helping the very very low in society in our societies yeah. At the time of our conversation, there is uh, in the forefront of the news uh, the coronavirus. And here's an interesting observation of mine. And I'd like you to address this and how, uh, how this may or may not impact Africa as well as Ghana as well as your village. I have heard of this virus popping up in many, many parts of the world. However, the one place I haven't heard it pop up in, and maybe it's just because I haven't gotten that news feed yet, is Africa. Uh, I'm curious as to whether or not Africa is, is being affected if the African governments, because there is no one government governing the entire continent, um, if, if they're even concerned. Because uh, it seems to me like, uh, though there are people who do, vacation they do live and work and travel to and from africa um it just doesn't seem like uh, we're hearing much news of how it may or may not be spreading there what what are your observations and awarenesses okay the other day i had a, a discussion uh, on our because of today because of the internet uh, we get radio and tv news news from ghana mm -hmm. and there was one uh, medical doctor, I think he made a good point. Uh, I have not uh, verified it, but he, he was saying this particular virus 
uh, is not able to resist heat. I've not. Uh, so that was his theory that uh, uh, this particular virus is susceptible to heat, so it can't come to Africa. I don't. I've not been able to verify that. Right. But as far as far as the spread is concerned, because of the WHO network, if uh, if it comes, uh, they, they, will, they will notify the WHO. So uh, uh, because uh, there was a time uh, at the initial stages. When I got a report, there was a suspected case in Ivory Coast uh, from uh, a, a, a Chinese businessman who was coming uh, for holidays. Or, but it went; it turned out to be uh, negative. So uh, the, the the systems are in place. So if if uh, the, there's an outbreak, it it will be reported. But the issue is uh, we, are, we are just praying, <laughs> hoping and praying because of the weak health care system. Uh, if it, it, it could be, it could pose a bit more of a challenge. You no, know, I remember. I hope you remember the Ebola virus uh, outbreak. Uh, that is a different way of uh, spread, but yeah. uh, it was a big challenge for us. And eventually, I think uh, outside help uh, help us to contain it. Or uh, yeah, to, at that time. I know too that here in the United States, uh, there is criticism of different, uh, especially of faith organizations that they want to collect monies to be able to send to various parts of Africa to help them in the, in the, in the same effort that you are uh, in your poverty crusade, as is the title of your book that we are talking about today. And, um, and, and there are uh, certainly uh, concerns on the part of a lot of people that well, wait a minute. We should, we've got our, our, our own, a poverty-stricken group here in the United States. We should take care of our own first. And here in the United States, we have a lot of social programs that the poverty-stricken and even the homeless can take advantage of to help to lift themselves up by their bootstraps, as the as the saying goes, uh, in order to uh, make a better life for themselves. Is there anything like that? In any part of the, uh, I, I'm not sure how I want to phrase this, because there are parts of Africa that are very developed, uh, but there are uh, these other parts that are not. They're, they are impoverished areas. Are there any programs such as that uh, in the respective countries, in Ghana in particular? Okay. Um, there are, uh, uh, they call them N. NGOs. Uh, here in the UK, say charity, but they call them NGO, non-governmental organizations. Uh, quite a lot, a lot of them have uh, international uh, connections. They, 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 are, they have links to outside uh, because much as they, they want to help, uh, they, they are financially uh, uh, not in a, uh, not in an optimal situation. So I, I, I have I have a, uh, I know some charities which are taking care of, for example, the handicapped, the mentally uh, challenged. Because uh, okay, we have a few uh, psychiatrist hospitals, but uh, because of financial issues, there uh, the, the, some of them just roaming on the streets. So there are some charities. Yes, there are some, but uh, because. Of the pe- 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 widespread poverty, they, they don't get a lot of 
local donors, donors mm -hmm. uh, to keep them running. So then they, uh, they are very happy if they can get uh, maybe foreign uh, backers. And since it's very effective because uh, some of them are very, uh, very, um, very effective and honest in their work. So they they, they are uh, on the on the on the ground and they get help from outside and then they, they pass the help on to the 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 poor. Mm -hmm. As I said, mostly on this non-governmental organizations, uh, but the, the state itself not very doing very well in that regard. Right. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk more with our very special guests here on the program. I hope that you are enjoying talking, listening to our guest talk about uh, the work that he's doing through his Poverty Crusade. It's a little African villages campaign against world poverty. And the name of the community is Mpintimpi. Impentimpi. Uh, and uh, I thank you so much for uh, being with us and staying with us because we are going to be right back. Tell me your stories. I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World. Robert Pepra. Uh, Guy Umphy is my guest, and we are talking about his work and the book that we he has put out called Poverty Crusade, a little African village's campaign against world poverty. Tell me, Robert, about the current, current state of your village, uh, Impintimpi, uh, and how it has taken on this monumental effort in regards to world poverty. Okay. Uh, my, my village is a very small uh, community. It has moved on. There has been a bit of improvement compared to when I grew up. When I was growing up, it was pure darkness. In the evenings, there was no electricity. We were using a, a Swiss kerosene lamps uh, in the evenings and there was no uh, treat, treated treated water. We had to collect water from a, a stream. But over the years uh, the, current, this, the town benefited from electric, electrification program of the government. So the lines were just passing the village. So then uh, because it was passing there by chance the, it was extended to the village. But of uh, Still, uh, it is only on the streets uh, because uh, they, have, they don't have the money to uh, take it home uh, to, to, to get the network. But the street lamps are paid for by the government. And some charitable organizations also came to drill wells, potholes, uh, wells which go very deep. And uh, so uh, the water is generally uh, clear or clean. And the, most of them are small-scale farmers. And when I was growing up, there were cases of people dying before getting treatment. The next available hospital is still about 20, 30 miles away. And there were cases when severely unwell people uh, could not get to hospital early enough 
and they passed away. I still remember a case when somebody was bitten by a snake and he passed away before going to see a treatment. And that is why even at that time, I had the vision of setting up a mobile clinic to go around the whole community to provide them with uh, medical care. So even at, the, at that time, I was about 10 years old. And I'm carrying this vision around still. So, and it is not there about uh, the whole district, and not only the whole district, the whole country, uh, the poor, those who live in the rural areas like Pitimpi are in need of help. And for example, uh, to as a concrete way, as I said, like setting up small scale farms, uh, poultry farming, and low cost housing. At the moment, I am in, in contact with uh, uh, the licensee of uh, uh, um, it's called Habitera Brooks. Habitera is very, you can use it to build very low cost houses for uh, the poor. So that is what we are also trying to develop with help of a capital. You want to set up this project and put up houses for the poor because the accommodation is also a crisis. Uh, they live in the small, small huts and not very uh, comfortable uh, housing. So we are facing a lot of challenges and we are appealing to the global village to come to our aid. The website you can uh, go to, folks, to uh, find out more is uh, there's uh, there are two actually. One, of course, is uh, is uh, Robert's uh, website, but also povertycrusades.org. You can go there to find out more, get involved, uh, you know, in this uh, in this campaign, because it isn't just about helping the small village of Impintimpi. How what's the population of your village today? Today, it's around 800. Wow, uh, that's small. Okay, when you talk, when you talk of 800, maybe here you think of people having 800 in the West. Uh, maybe two people live in one building. So in our case, about 20 people are living in one settlement. So you can just imagine it. It's a small settlement. Uh, but our external family, uh, they live in... Like uh, mother, uh, grandpa, grandpa, uh, three generations to to put it short, mm -hmm. about three four generations living together in so, one in one structure. Yeah, in, in, one yeah, house in, in, in the house. In okay. The structure, yeah. Yes. And and but roughly so our advantage is the good weather, so we spend a lot of our time outside. So, uh, so that is why a lot of people can live together in, in one compound. It's only in the night that you just retire to bed, but most of the time you spend everything outside. Mm. And before we go, you know, uh, this poverty crusade is an utopia that I was thinking of. But there was a, you came up with 10 action plan for global health uh, poverty uh, uh, alleviation. You see, the, the, the first point was uh, we demanded and the mandatory introduction of a global welfare state system. 
in every member state of the United Nations to ensure that a basic minimum standard of living set by an independent commission of experts is guaranteed for every resident of planet Earth, irrespective of their places of residence. That's the point number one. Point number two, we call for the setting up of a common poverty crusaders fund to be administered by a panel of experts, men and women of high standing and integrity, to ensure the practical implementation of the global welfare state system. Number three, we are calling for the introduction of a 0.1% global tax on arms sales, wealth over half a million US dollars. It will be a two-way taxation affecting those who sell as well as those who purchase arms. The money levied will be paid directly into the co Common Poverty Crusaders Fund. Point number four, we demand the introduction of a global space exploration task. This exploration task, because we think that we have, we have, we have poverty on Earth and we have to sort out the problem of the Earth before we go to space. So then the point number five, global green tax, environmental protection levy of 0.1% to be paid by companies and organizations identified as environmental polluters, like the aircraft industry, petroleum exploration, etc. And that money will be paid into the Global Poverty Alleviation Fund. And then Point number six, we call for the global poverty task on the mega rich for poverty alleviation. Those the billionaires, we are asking them to give 0.01% of their wealth into the poverty alleviation fund. And we are also of the opinion that a lot of the poverty is due to our uh, corrupt politicians. So number seven, we are calling for Poverty Crusaders Arrest Warrant. We are calling for the United UN Security Council to enact an internationally binding global poverty alleviation arrest warrant, which will make it obligatory for nations to arrest any individual accused of plundering the covers, the money of their respective countries of origin. And then number nine, we are calling for Poverty Crusaders Tribunal which will try all corrupt officials in whichever country which takes the money of the poor from them. And then the last two points, point number nine, the poverty, the poor of this world, because they form the largest proportion of the world population, are calling for a collective veto power for the poor at the United Nations. Finally, we are calling for a global poverty alleviation week. So every week, every year, in a, within a, a seven-day period, we shall, the whole world will just uh, meditate, uh, ponder about uh, ways and means of solving poverty the whole world over. So as I said, these are just wishful thinking, utopia. Mm -hmm. But that is our uh, way of eating that poverty can be alleviated in this world. We are not going to be able to eliminate it entirely, but we hope, and it's our trust, and it's our opinion, 
that it could be alleviated somehow to make everybody feel comfortable in the world. Well, I've always personally believed that there is more than enough on this planet for everyone because not everybody wants the same thing. And yes. that if we are um, the good stewards of the resources of this planet that we should be, that <clears throat> the uh, distribution of those resources shouldn't be a problem and that the continuation of those resources wouldn't be a problem. Unfortunately, we do we don't have that type of a system set up. And I know you talk uh, you use the word utopia. Uh, and of course, a lot of people, you know, say, well, you know, that's great wishful thinking. You go ahead and dream on. It's never going to happen. Uh, but I, it sounds to me as if um, whether or not it happens on a global level, in our lifetime, yours or mine, um, just the fact that you're wanting to do something about the current situation is going to help at, at least a few people along the way. And who knows what kind of contribution they might make if they're able to make it to adulthood, if they're able to get the kind of education that they so richly deserve and want. Uh, that they'll make the differences in the next 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years or 100 years, whatever it might be, that might bring it about or uh, bring it about uh, in the in the future. But again, as, as I said, maybe not in your lifetime or mine. Your thoughts? Yes. You know, as, as you know, here I read uh, reports about food uh, wasted uh, from the big, big uh, supermarkets. Uh, they, they waste a lot of food, and you just begin to shake your uh, shake, uh, shake your head. As you are saying, there's enough resources available. Uh, also, medicines are destroyed uh, in, in the developed world when it, it could be used somewhere. Maybe it's a matter of finding a way of uh, properly distributing uh, instead of throwing them away. And this, so that is the challenge that you have to work towards. Well, I, I applaud you for your efforts. Um, I want to I ask you a little a bit about how your, how your faith sustains you through this work uh, and, 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 and when it began, when you uh, began to realize that there was something bigger than yourself uh, that you could count on that was there for you and so forth, um, you know, because uh, as an evangelist uh, today, obviously you didn't come out of uh, your mother's womb <laughs> as an evangelist. Yeah. So, so tell me, how did your faith begin? How did your uh, your work in that regard begin? Okay, when we were growing up, uh, there were two churches in this little village, and in general, people. Believe in, uh, in the super, the supernatural in our in our in our uh, community or in our our area, uh, and so I was going to church, but I was not committed. I was not committed until uh, when I was about uh, sixteen years old, and then somebody came to preach to me, and it touched my heart in a different way. 
and uh, I followed that individual to her church the next Sunday, and I followed the altar call. And since that time, uh, I have called, I followed the Lord through up and downs, and that is what gives me the strength. Uh, and I believe uh, in, in, in uh, James. James says, faith that works is dead. So I believe in what I normally say, practical Christianity. So uh, I, it's my, I, it's my, I, I, I find it important, uh, not only, because, okay, before I go, I'm setting up a, 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 a ministry. Apart from the poverty crusade, as a charity, but I'm setting up my own ministry called Heaven and Earth Ministries International. So the heaven part, we're preaching the word of salvation, and the earth part, we try to sort out some of the problems of this world. Mm. Well, I, I have to say that uh, the work that you've taken on is certainly monumental. We... Uh, we say a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but not entirely, that with this program, what we're trying to do is change the world. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I was actually told that, you know, that's all fine, well, and good, but what you need to do is uh, maybe take it in small bites. Don't, don't try to take on the whole thing. And yet, in the reality of things, uh, that is what it ends up coming down to, is as we change ourselves— and as we as we change ourselves, we do we change the world. How have you changed over the years uh, in in your faith in regards to not just your village? Because I'm sure you have visited many other uh, impoverished areas, not only in Africa but around the world. Yes. Okay. I, I went to uh, Nigeria and uh, and also. Uh, even in in Ghana, in in Accra, there are a lot of slums, a lot of slums, and uh, and you 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 go there and you see how people are struggling to survive. Uh, so that is the, what I think that is is, and also as I prepared for for my book, I read about uh, people uh, sleeping in cemeteries in the Philippines. I, I hope you you are aware of that. There are some cemetery dwellings they don't have anywhere to sleep and so these are some of the things that have inspired me to keep on uh, keeping on and knocking doors and talking to the those who are in the position to help uh, to assist in this work that i've set about doing hmm. So, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, when you first took on this, and by the way, how long ago was it that, I mean, again, I know you had the dream at the age of 10 in terms of the medical, uh, uh, mobile medical facility and so forth, but in terms of the poverty crusade, how long has this been going on for you? Okay, this book uh, I, just, I wrote about uh, two years ago, but in actual fact... <laughs> The poverty crusade has been going on since I came uh, to uh, e Europe, and that is uh, about 40 years ago. 40 years. Because, because uh, I, have been, I have had to support my sisters, brothers, parents uh, all the time. So it, it has been ongoing because the, the challenges is said that uh, and the, their problems are so genuine that sometimes somebody has to go to hospital 
uh, one of my sisters fell and she, she fractured her, her hip joint and there was no money to take her to hospital and somebody needed surgery. So it's all ongoing. So that is why it came to a point when I'm also growing old. So I said, no, you cannot do this alone. So I want to involve the global village. That's where I came up to this book. So it's a way of trying to uh, get people to help me <laughs> because I've been doing it alone and I'm, I am just uh, come to a point when I think I also need help. Absolutely. We, we all need help. We've got to set up those networks. Uh, that's one of the things that I think, especially with the homeless, not so much those who are impoverished, they do have a network, but... As we grow, we need to bring people into our lives, create that network so that if we need help or if one of them needs help, we are there for each other. When we don't create those kinds of connections and that kind of community, it, it, it may, we do. We really feel alone and we feel separated when, in fact, we are, we are not. I wanted to ask you in regards to the pro the poverty crusades that you say really has been going on for 40 plus years on a scale of one to 10 uh one being it's never going to happen and 10 being uh, ultra optimistic in uh you bet it's going to happen uh how has how how did you feel when you started it and how do you feel today on that scale if you can if you can put it in those in those terms Okay, now I'm, I tell uh, I put it at eight. I put it at eight. Uh, I'm I'm building the, ne the networks and I'm, I'm I'm spreading the message, and I have a strong faith that once what I'm doing is the right thing, that help will come and it will move forward and be able to expand it and help make the the needed impact that you want to make. I applaud you for your work, your efforts, uh, your courage, because there are, in one sense, uh, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people specifically in your own village who are counting on you. Uh, how does that make you feel? Yes. Uh, you know, uh, there was one of my, uh, my, my, my schoolmates uh, passed away uh, about uh, not long ago. I, I mentioned it in the book. And the, uh, because I have been the main person helping all of them, even in his last words, uh, what he said implied that he was, even though I was not around, I was so many uh, miles away here in the UK, he, uh, he employed my sister to contact me so that I pay for the, his burial, <laughs> his mm. funeral. Yeah. And uh, also he, he left uh, his children, uh, to, uh, his, his, his two children were in school. So, uh, so I, I, I had to help. Uh, I had to help with the, with, the, with the funeral and also had to pay for, for the school fees. Uh, the, to go for, so that is how it is. And the, as, as I said, I have been doing my best and I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord to bring other people to come and help in this uh, uh, this job, uh, this this task of helping uh, uh, the poor. Right. 
Well, uh, what uh, uh, begins as a petition of a tiny village in Africa, in Ghana, goes global, culminating in a global poverty march at all Greta Thunberg. Uh, and her global climate movement with millions of people from Sydney to Akar, Mala, um, Manila to Sao, Sao Paulo and New York marching for urgent change amid a worldwide poverty eradication with one striking difference. Whereas the climate change movement plays out in the real world, this enthralling narrative is a it's a viv- it's a virtual phenomenon. It's a product of a v- vivid dream fantasy of the author. I don't think it's a fantasy, Robert. I think that that uh, when we take a look at the world around us, and and we talk here on this program about looking for those new ways of living because the old ways just aren't working, and changing the world and trying to give people choices and knowledge of those choices. Um, it is. It is my concerted uh, belief that uh, these things can change and with enough people. Uh, and we've had a, a gentleman on this program. His name is Greg Braden. You may have heard of him. He is a rather famous international speaker and author and so forth. And, and he talks about how with a population of nearly 8 billion, it only would take uh, probably 180,000 people globally, uh, 180,000 globally. I mean, that is such a minute percentage that yeah. if they focused their awareness, their consciousness, their attention on a particular uh, a, f- a particular item, a particular issue that needed to be dealt with, it yes. would be dealt with, it would be taken care of, it would be resolved uh, we would change that particular issue uh, and then we would move to the next. So now it's just a question of getting, you know, I would love 180 million, you know, uh, people to to get the get the message. And of course, this program, as well as your the work you're doing is global. Uh, so we encourage people from around the world. I mean, I, I can't tell you only because of time. How many different countries this program is listened to by so many people? I, it blows me away when I take a look at the statistics uh, on SoundCloud of this podcast in particular. Yeah. It, we are only into the third year by a, co- a few months, okay? The third year of podcasting, 2018, 2019. We started in January of 2018, and here we are in the first quarter into the second quarter of uh, 2020, and we have over 15,100-plus listens to the interviews and, uh, the, of course, the United States is number one. Spain is number two and followed by France. Um, and, and, and it, I mean, it just goes on and on. We have uh, the U.K., Brazil. When I start taking a look at some of the other countries, such as Jordan, Costa Rica, uh, Malaysia, Romania, Morocco, Lithuania, um, we have Israel and po- Poland, the Republic, the Republic of Korea. People are listening. Switzerland. I mean, the list goes on. We're we're being heard around the world, and I can't thank those people enough for just listening. Because once they've heard what you have talked about, they can't unhear it. Think about that. 
Now, somewhere down the road, Robert, they're going to have to deal with what you have shared here on this program. Yes, that is why it's important that we work together. It's, it's very interesting, very good that you have this technology. You know, I mean, I try to philosophize a lot of things. You know, it is only human beings that you have borders. Now, look at this coronavirus. It's just moving around the world. It doesn't need to travel with any restrictions. Yeah. And the fish and the whales, they all migrate, the bears. It's only human beings creating borders. Let us help one another. Let us come together. Yeah. Those who have the means to help the poor come together and let's do the, make a change. I thank you so much for sharing uh, this time with us and your ideas and, of course, the Poverty Crusades and the book entitled Poverty Crusade, A Little African Village's Campaign Against World Poverty. Um, uh, Robert Pepra Gayamfi. Uh, has been my guest here on the program. We encourage you to go to his website, which is uh, pepragayemfi.org. That's P-E-P-R-A-H hyphen G-Y-A-M-F-I dot org. We will be linked to that website, but we also encourage you to go to Poverty Crusade dot org that's poverty crusades dot org uh to get more information to get involved in any way that you possibly can and robert yeah it, i want to th- it's, it's, sorry, sorry, it's poverty crusades ers at the end for the for the charity for the website i, I beg your pardon poverty, poverty crusaders dot org yeah, All right. We want to get that right. PovertyCrusaders.org. Please go there and uh, go to his website, of course, which I'm sure you have a link on that website to PovertyCrusaders.org as well. And um, we want to thank you so much, Robert Pepra Gayumfi for joining us here on the program. I have three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests uh, at the end of the program. But I would also invite you, should you ever find yourself here in the U.S. and out here on the West Coast in the Santa Barbara area, we would love to have you in studio to continue this conversation. Uh, Poverty isn't going to be going away anytime soon, although that's the goal is to eradicate poverty in the world. And we'll do it one village at a time. Uh, but it takes a village, and it's going to take the global village. So uh, please, uh, if you should find yourself out here, please let us know, because uh, we would love to talk more. Okay, great, great, great. First question that I have for you before we wrap up of three is, who is Robert Pepra Gayamfi? You, you, oh, you, you want me to answer? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's a, a villager from a small village in Ghana called Impintimpi, born into poverty, called by the Lord Jesus Christ, sent out uh, to Germany to study medicine. And from Germany, he moved on to the UK. And I am, uh, I've set up Poverty Crusaders with the hope and the goal of helping the poor. Second question, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? um, My goal is to do my best to make sure that every child, wherever they are born, will not have to be hungry and uh, that poverty 
abject poverty will be eradicated from the surface of the earth. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is uh, to serve the Lord and make a change, contribute towards a, a just world, a world where, I mean, we, 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 should, we shall still have the rich, but at least poverty in this very abject form will be a teen of the past. Well, Robert, again, I thank you so much for uh, joining us, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the near-distant future to see how the work is going and uh, to find out how your village is beginning and continuing to prosper through your efforts and the efforts of people around the world. And thank you again for being with us. Just before we go, my schoolmate in, in the school, his name was Dugan, just like your name, <laughs> D-U-D-A-N. So, really? You know, as I said, uh, uh, he was a very uh, fair-colored, fair so it's possible that... Uh, uh, some, in the past, four fathers, maybe some of them were uh, from from Europe or somewhere. So he got the name Dugan, just like yours. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> next time you see him, tell him I said hello. <laughs> okay, good. I'll do that. I would, I would allow, that would be wonderful. Again, I thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and being with us. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. It is all up to us together, collectively, to make the difference, the change in the world that's going to change the world. I'm Richard Dugan, and until next time, love to Lal.